thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our executive pastor, Pastor Kevin Kelts. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Exchange, exchange. It's good to see you guys this morning. Our family, the Kelts family, we took a trip a week ago and we got out and went on a little family vacation. And so it was it was good to to be out on the road and and see some family and friends and but it's always good to be back home we are we are back and we are rested and ready to go and uh, and so just thankful for the the team that we have here I know you guys enjoyed the messages that uh, Pastor Jonathan was bringing it was just amazing I I encourage you guys to um, you know get on and comment on those those messages on Facebook that when he was preaching and you know just even text him or send him an email and just let him know how those were encouraging to you and how God spoke through him to you and, and how it was just applicable it was even to my life I'm, I'm so thankful for the team that we have here um, I would like to encourage you guys if you could with our power of our social media get on your Facebook right now and check in at our church on our, our Facebook page um, also if you could share the live stream you never know when you do that this morning somebody one of your friends might might uh, just be scrolling through and say hey man I'm gonna click on and 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 God might speak to him through this message this morning so um, please do those things and I'm gonna jump right into a new series that we're gonna start here for the next Four weeks, we're going to be in a, in a new series, and, and I'm excited to talk about one of the, the apostles that I really, as a person, relate to a lot, and we're going to talk about his story, and it comes from the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, you can grab those probably on your, your Bible app. You can open that up and turn to the book of Mark, but um, we're, we're going to talk about this, this real-life story. And, and he's sharing about one day where Jesus was teaching, and he is surrounded by this group of religious leaders. And, and, and I, I want you for just a moment, if you could, if you could for just a second, press pause in your mind. And, and I want you to go with me back to the day when Jesus would have been teaching this, when Jesus would have been sharing this, I don't want you to think about applying this, this what Jesus is going to be saying to where you're at in your life now. I want you to try to, in context, go with me to who he would have originally been talking to, how they would have received it. I want you to try to, if you can, maybe when this was written down, and the, the, or first, the first reader 
of this, who this would have been passed to and, and, and who even this story would have been shared to, the first listener or the first reader of this. So, so here's Jesus, and he's surrounded by these religious leaders. And so understand the context of that day. Jesus, when he came to this earth, he first came to his own people. And who were those people? They were, they were Jews. They were Jews living in an old covenant, living under the law, the law that was given to Moses, the Mosaic law. And so when Jesus came, he came with this new message. He came with this new teaching. And, and because of that, they didn't like that, the teachers of the law. And they were always trying to sabotage him. They were always trying to trick him and and, and, and catch him and, and these little little tricks. And so what happens is he, he is engaging in a conversation with them, religious leaders. Um, there's a lot of different audience members that's there, not just the religious leaders, but lots of different Jewish people that are there. And, and he, he's just finished in this conversation debating some of the uh, teachers of the law on the feasibility of life after death. Um, some of them have just said that, you know, we're just here to entertain God. They had this idea that we're, we're just here put on this earth for the goodness of God. And then when you die, it's just done. And there was this one teacher who was so impressed with this mind-bending logic of Jesus as it related to life after death. He was so impressed with what Jesus was saying and, and what was coming out of the teaching of Jesus. So he kind of, he kind of raises his hand and, and interacts with Jesus and asks a very sincere question. It's a question that you've heard taught in church before. It would be very familiar to you if you've been in church for any amount of time. And, and this is what he says. He says, Jesus, of all of the commands. Now, for a second, I want you to pause again. And in your mindset, don't think of how this applies to you today living in America in 2020. I want you to pause and go back to what a, an original person that is a Jew living under not a new covenant, but the old covenant, what they would think when, when this question asked, Jesus, of all the commands, which they had so many, there wasn't just 10, there were many in their Torah. He says, which do you think is the, 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 the most important? And, and this was a question, when you think about it, which really speaks specifically to priorities, Right? Priorities. We, we know about priorities. In other words, of all the things, of all the values, Jesus, that, that we have as Jews, as, as, as natural Israel, what we've been told and what we believe, when, when we have all these values that collide at the end of the day, they can't all be prioritized as number one, which is the best. You have to choose one, Jesus, of all the commands. Which one is the most important? And Jesus begins with sort of, you know, an, an, an answer that all of the people there would have understand, like, okay, yeah, that's the right answer. We, we've heard that. We all believe this type of thinking. And, and he says, and it's recorded in Mark chapter 12, verse 29. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. 
And they would have already known. Yes, yes, we've been taught this. The Lord is one. And they knew what was coming next. Jesus, as it starts to come out of his mouth, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And they're like, yes, we've been taught this. Yes, we're all natural Israel. Yes, we're all good Jews. Yes, we all go to synagogue. Yes, 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 with all of our heart, with all of our might, with all of our strength. But then Jesus, it's almost as if the record skips. He doesn't stop. He starts to do what he always did, which would get on the the nerves of the religious minds of that day. He continues. And he says, in the second, the second. What are you talking about? The second. There's no the second. That's the one. And he says, in the second. And when he says the second, if you literally go and study the Greek, you'll find it's the second indicating not the second in importance, but just the second in sequence. He's saying, I'm about to tell you, along with the first one, these two, they go together. They're of the same importance. It's the same idea. He says the second is this, love your neighbor. Love. Look, if you're watching right now with somebody, look at them and say the word love. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment, he says. He just said two things, but then he said there's no greater commandment. These are singular. These go hand in hand. It's one idea. Even though they'd always been taught in their idea and in their day, it was all vertical. It was all love God. Love God, and this is how you love God, by fulfilling the commandments, by doing things that are good and doing things that go hand in hand with all of our expectations that we have. He says, no, it's also love your neighbor. It is horizontal. Now, the teacher's response it was kind of revealing in this, in this moment, in this real-life story that is unfolding. Here, here's what he says, and it, it, it's almost funny because he, he, he looks at Jesus as a peer because he really doesn't realize who Jesus actually is. He, he, he says back to him, he says, well said, teacher. I mean, can you imagine saying that to the Son of God, God incarnate on the earth? Like, good answer. Like, you did good there, you know, buddy. Hey, okay. But he says, you did good. Yeah, that's right. That's good. Well said, teacher. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. But the the, the teacher then actually starts to reveal that he's also kind of an outcast, that he goes along with the same type of thinking that, that Jesus has. He says, to love God with all of your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and also, I prescribe to it too, Jesus, to, to love your neighbor as yourself. When, when he said that, most of the people in the crowd would have kind of <gasps> had a gasp, like, oh my goodness, this is kind of out there type of teaching. Then he says, even I know. Even I know that all of those two things are more important. In, in, in other words, they, they have priority. They're, 
there is, I would prioritize these things. If everything can't be the most important, I have, I have to decide that there is something that is more important. And, and Jesus, I thank you for giving us that priority, for, for showing us a, a hierarchy here that this is important. And the teacher agrees with Jesus's priority. This man in this movie, even though he doesn't know and recognize who Jesus is, he actually recognizes and has embraced Jesus's value system. And he says, though, those things are more important than the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. Now, he doesn't recognize who Jesus really is at the moment, but he's well on his way. He, he's on his journey. He's on his track. He's on his path. And, and Jesus recognizes that if this man will continue to follow getting this new logic Getting in this new thought pattern, if this man will continue on this path and to continue in thinking the way that he's thinking, he's in for the journey of his life, he's in for the surprise of his life, he's going to arrive at a destination that will literally change his life forever. And the text says that when Jesus saw, it says that Jesus literally saw that this man had answered wisely. It, it, it's speaking that Jesus could see that this man had thought it through in his heart, that he had, he had started to think differently. He had started to put two and two together. And again, we don't know what happened physically, but I, I, I picture in this moment, that Jesus picks this guy out of the crowd that asked him this question. And, and it's almost as Jesus in this moment is not speaking to the crowd anymore. He's speaking to this man. And maybe Jesus leans in and, and kind of calls him forward from the crowd. And he, and he leans into this one gentleman. And he whispers to him and he says to him. It's recorded in Mark chapter 12, verse 34. He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that again because it's so important and, and it's the title to our message, the series that we're going to be going through for four weeks. But he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Which is saying the kingdom of God is not, it's not far from you, friend. It's it's here, it's now, and for the next few weeks, what we're going to dive into is, I want you to grasp this, it's a true story, it's a true story that it's against all odds, it, it, it really should have died in Nero's Rome, but it didn't. It's a story of Jesus, this, this man, this God incarnate, that it is actually narrated by Simon Peter, and we, we know the apostle Peter. It's narrated by Peter, Jesus' most famous apostle. But now, Peter, his story, it, it is an embarrassing story when he reveals all of, of the details and lets everybody know what happened. It's a story that doesn't make him look very good over and over and over. And yet he tells this story for over 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He followed Jesus' entire earthly ministry. G Peter was there through the entire thing for three years. And, 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 and the reason that we have 
all of it documented. All of his greatest failures is because Peter's story was a part of the greatest story that was ever told, the story of the man Jesus of Nazareth. And and so Peter documents his story. Now, what I want you to understand is when when the apostle Peter, he he does this, he's in his 50s, okay? He's a middle-aged man, and again, he has followed Jesus when Jesus was on planet Earth. And for the next then 30 years after Jesus leaves, he traveled around and, and going from town to town, in and out of trouble, dodging, being arrested over and over, suffering for his faith in Jesus, in, in this man, this the, his personal rabbi, but his personal savior, being beaten for his faith in Jesus. And for so, for 30 years, he has told his story from house to house, from town to town. Anytime he would enter into a village or a town, people would invite them into his home. And, and they would say, tell us the story of Jesus. Tell us about the time when, when he did this. And, and, oh, what was it like to, to walk with him and, and to be with him? And tell us what he, what he was like. And, and so now, what's happening, though, what I want you to understand is that he's, he's in his 50s. And he is in prison. He's in Rome. He's awaiting trial under the emperor Nero. And chances are he knows that he is not going to leave this city alive. And so he decides to tell his story one last time. But, but he's not going to tell it on a podium to, or up on a mountaintop to a, a huge audience of people. To this time, he tells his story to an audience of one. It's his traveling companion, John Mark. And we know John Mark as Mark the gospel writer of the gospel of Mark. Now, Peter was, he was an uneducated man. He was from a very rural area. He did not have a formal education. And and we know that if he was like 90% of the people that lived in those rural areas, he didn't know how to read or write. He just, he just didn't. I mean, in that day and in that age, it wasn't like it is now. I want you to please go back with me 2,000 years ago. And in that day, for people, it, education was just not available. I mean, writing would have took time and practice and education. It was things that were just not available to him. Um, in fact, you uh, writing utensils were not available. They were expensive. They were expensive, and he just would have never been able to uh, learn how to write. Um, maybe he would have learned how to read a little bit. But what he was was a fisherman. He was a common man who became a fisher of men. And in the first century, he he went from being a fisher of men to being a big fish. He was a leader of the way, of, of the church. And now what has happened is Rome, Nero, has captured him. And Mark, his traveling companion, knows that, that Peter's story is important, that it needs to be told, that the experience that Peter had with Jesus is not just simply a story for their generation, but for every generation. And so 
I, I love that, that Mark, this real-life person, he understands this, and, and he, he, he says, you know what, one last time, one last time, Peter, I've been traveling with you, and you've told me all these stories, and I know how to read and write. I know how to get this stuff down on paper. Let's do this. Let's sit down, and let's have you tell me the, sto- the stories, and I'll start to write these things down. So they're in Rome together, and he coaxes the stories out of Peter one last time. And all of those stories come to us in the form of what we call the Gospel of Mark. It's chaotic when you read this book. It's out of order. Um, In some cases, there's excruciating detail because he was not a teacher. Peter was not a teacher. He, like I said, he was uneducated. He was a fisherman. He, he was not trained and educated. He, he just kind of calls up memories, and, and it's kind of all over the place. He just, he's just dictating to Mark, and Mark is just writing these things down. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, they're, they're, one day he starts telling, Jesus starts talking about these parables. And then, then he's like, and then, oh, yeah, I remember he had these conversations over here. And, and, and the thing is, it's chronologically, it's out of order. But it's just like somebody who is downloading their experiences to Mark, and Mark is taking it down as fast as he can to make sure that it's going to be on on some type of paper parchment that can be passed on to a next generation. And Peter, interestingly enough, begins his account as he starts to to dictate the stories and, and let Mark know as he's writing these things down. It's, it's interesting that Peter starts with the conclusion which is a very interesting place to start. It's almost like he says, look, I don't, I don't know if we're going to have enough time for me to tell you the whole story, so I'm going to start with the end. Let's start with the dessert first. You know, life is uncertain. I, I'm in chains. I don't know what, how many more days I have left, so I'm going to tell you how, what it's all about, Mark. I'm going I'm to tell you what I learned from Jesus, what it's all about. I'm going to give you the conf- conclusion right at the beginning. So as I read and as I study the gospel of Mark, coming from the lips of the apostle Peter, this is so important, especially Especially if you're somebody who who does not believe in Christ. Or, or, or maybe that you used to, but right now you're kind of wavering. wavering. You know, you, you've lost your faith a little bit for whatever reason. In fact, if you, if you were to come to me and tell me your story, you were to tell our church your story, we would, we would say, wow, if, if somebody told me uh, that about God, or if I went through the situation that you would, I would be in a place where I probably would have lost my faith as well. It, it, it's not a criticism this morning, but if for whatever reason you're, you're, you're back, you're, you're a little bit interested again, you're curious, what I am about to say may be the most important thing that you could pick up, that I could say to you today. As I, as I read this text and study the book of Mark, please understand that we read it as the Bible but when it was being written, it wasn't, Mark was not writing it down as the Bible. Mark wasn't going, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you know, God told me to do this, and it's going to be the Bible, Peter. It, it's going to be this big book that's going to be this great thing that's going to change people's life. No, 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 no. I just, I want you to just get something very simple. All Mark was doing was saying, Peter, just tell me the stories that changed your life. The things that you saw and you heard that you experienced, that now, even in chains, you will not relent from. And I'll write those things down. Just, just dump those things out, and I will write these things down. These are the experiences of somebody in the first century who spent three years with Jesus. And then after that, he spent 30 years traveling and talking about this man, Jesus, recounting the stories, even though his life was being put at risk for sharing those stories every single day. Now, when we get to a certain part of Peter's story, as we continue along in this series, you're, you're going to read some things that, that Mark documents and, 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 and really it's some of it's hard to believe. I mean, if you were one of the original readers and even today reading it, it's like if you could go in a time machine back to Peter, you'd be like, really? Seriously? You expect me to believe that Jesus did that or these things happen? I mean, it's just hard to believe. But when Mark is writing these things down for Peter, Peter's telling you, I I'm just telling you what I saw. I was there, and it changed my life. It's not something, Mark, that I read about. It's not something that I was told. He's like, man, this is something that I saw with my very own eyes, and it changed my life forever. And these stories that I'm telling you, they're the reason that I'm in change, and it's the reason that I don't have fear. It's all the, also the reason that I have confidence that God, near. And I, I know that he's not only, Mark, he's not only near me, but his kingdom. Mark, his kingdom has come. That's why I have spent my life retelling these stories over and over. And, 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 and Mark, I'm so glad you're writing these down. And I hope, I hope, and I pray that my stories, they make it out of, of, of Nero's Rome. I hope they do. I hope they get out to next generation. Guys, I can tell you that it was not in Peter's wildest dreams that 2,000 years later, we would be studying in it and still sharing his account, that it would still be life-changing today, the story of Jesus of Nazareth. So here's how this here's how Peter begins. He he begins with the end and he says he says this. He's like, "Mark, the best way for me to say it." And so if you go to Mark chapter 1, this is where we're going to begin. Mark chapter 1 verse 1, he says, "The beginning." That's the best way to start. The beginning. The beginning of the good news. If you have somebody in the room that you're watching with right now, look at them right now and say good news because that's very important. 
This is what he says. He says, the, he's like, Mark, the beginning of the good news, write that down. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, to the son, the, the son of God, to which again, the first century readers, the first readers that ever read this would have, would have immediately said, wait, 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 wait just a second. So, you're, Peter, you're telling me, I want to make sure that I'm reading this right, but you're telling me that your personal rabbi that you walked around with, you're confident that he is the son of God, that he's God. Like he, he was a man. <laughs> this is hard. This heart is, it would be hard for people to believe because they really, they really saw this guy. He walked, it was a, he was a man that walked around, right? And, and, and so the way that he begins is, 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 would have been hard for the original reader to pick up on. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. God on this earth. Are you sure, Peter? Are you sure that he's the son of God? I mean, come on, Peter. You're in Rome. You're awaiting your execution. Are you so sure you're right about what you believe about this man? And he, Peter, he would smile and say, am I sure? I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. I've given my whole life to sharing this story. I mean, he there's there's something else that was written down by Peter in or, or it was recorded from Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2 verse 23 that I'm I'm about to to allude to but he would say I saw with my own eyes when they hurled their their insults at him. And he didn't retaliate. When he, when he suffered, and he made no threats. In fact, I saw with my own eyes, when they, over and over, instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Peter would say, listen, are you kidding? When he was arrested... I resisted his arrest. And he, he did not resist his arrest. He just entrusted himself into the hands of his father. Am I, am I sure? Am I sure that he's son of God? I, of course I'm sure because even though I didn't understand it at the time, I, I stood at the back of the crowd with tears streaming down my face thinking, have I, have I been deceived? Is this not the Messiah? Maybe, maybe all hope is lost. But he said, I was there. And I saw, it's recorded in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. I saw when he bore our sins in his body on, his, on the cross. And, and I didn't understand it at the time. Later, it, it all comes together for us, of course. I'm, I'm sure... That's why I spent 30 years talking about it. He bore our sins. He's, he's speaking 
please, please pause for a moment and take yourself back to the original context. He would be speaking to Jews under the law who had been living 1,500 years under the old covenant thinking that the trespass of the law was what has been separating them from Jehovah. But Peter says, it's over, guys. He says right here, I know it's hard for you to believe, but we don't have to bring any more sacrifices to the temple for sins because we have done that for 1,500 years. When we trespass the law, we bring a sacrifice to the temple. But he says, Jesus finished it all. I saw when he bore our sins on the cross. He started something new. He bore all of our sins on the cross. Am I sure? Oh, absolutely, I'm sure. I saw him raised from the grave. I saw him walk among us. I experienced this. And I've been walking around for 30 years. Because Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 3, it's recorded, he has given us a new birth into a new hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Of course, I'm sure. I had a conversation with my living, breathing, resurrected Savior and Rabbi. After I peered into his empty tomb, I saw him dead for three days. And then he, I saw, I, I, I'm, listen, I, I'm confident. I know that I know that I know. And no, we have not lost. Actually, I could tell you, after 30 years of doing this, we are, are winning. Jesus taught me how to fish for men and women. And for 30 years, I have been spreading this good news all around the empire, all around the Mediterranean Sea, in provinces and in towns and in villages, all over the known world. Men and women are gathering in, 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 in the morning and in afternoons to worship the resurrected Savior. Oh yes, I'm convinced. I am sure. Would I, would I have chosen this for my end? No, no. But am I going to give up hope? Absolutely not. I can't because of what I saw. And then he would say, now Mark, write this down. I got to get back to my story. Because one of the first times that I actually saw Jesus teach, he was sitting next to me on a boat. And Mark's like, okay, okay, okay. He's like, let me... Let me write this down. Now now we're getting down to the good stuff. Okay. Now this is when he meets Jesus. And, and then Peter, it's, it's crazy. If you go read it, he, he kind of jumps all over. Peter leaves, and he just can't stay with the storyline. Again, he's just kind of all over the place. He's, he's just kind of telling stories. And instead of describing the incident in detail, he, he skips it. And then he, he just goes right to the bottom line of Jesus' message. He goes to the big idea, and it's easy for us to miss because when we read the Gospels, we get kind of fascinated with the chaos of, of all of, of his stories that he tells. In fact, our challenge in reading the Bible, if you read the Bible, is when you read the Bible, you read it devotionally. A lot of us, we do that, right? We, we don't like to follow the storyline unless it's like this Old Testament story, and it's kind of like this you know, encapsulated into a, a couple of chapters, and so we have to track. But when we, most of us read the Bible, we read for application. 
right? And, and, and so it's like, what do I need to do? How do I apply this? When we read the Bible, we also look for inspiration. Uh, how can I find hope in the, in the middle of a, of a dip, difficult time I'm going through right now? I need to be inspired. So you read the Bible or you go into the Bible looking for direction. You're like, God, I need direction. Where do I go? What do I do? I need to make a decision in my life. Show me what to do. You, you read the Bible, and you, we love to read the Bible of the story of the prodigal son because it's Jesus, right? He's revealing the Father to us, that, that everyone belongs to him, that he is our Father. And there, there's nothing that we could ever do to, to be out of this family, to get away from his unconditional love. We like the story of the, of the woman caught in adultery, right? Because it's this unbelievable story of Jesus revealing the heart of the Father again. Because it's this story of, of what a father would do if he had a chance to stand up for his daughter, to restore his daughter. We love the story of the Good Samaritan because it shows this person who is showing mercy to someone who, who, who probably wouldn't have ever been shown mercy to. And it's like this great example to all of us. But all of those, listen to me, are illustrations that Jesus is using to show us a bigger picture. A picture of a kingdom that was coming. Those are just illustrations to point to the big idea that Jesus came to reveal. And the individual narratives that we love are really some of our favorite story. They are really puzzle pieces that fit into this big grand picture, this big grand narrative. And, and at the very outset of this story that Peter is giving, he's dumping out this story and it's being coaxed out of him by Mark. And he decides that he wants to know us. He wants for us to know how all the pieces fit together. He is in a sense, he's holding up the lid of the box of the puzzle. And he's saying, this is what it looks like. This is what the finished picture looks like when, when we're finished, when I'm finished telling you the entire story. This is what it looks like. In context, everything's going to flow from this. Now back to us for a minute. Personally for me, when I was growing up in church, and I, I, I love where I came from. I love the church that I grew up in. If, if somebody would have caught me in college, let's say, 20 years ago, and they would have said, hey, Kevin, what's the big idea? What's the, what's the big picture? What's the big idea of Christianity? What was the big idea that Jesus came to bring? I would have immediately said, the big idea is Jesus came to die for my sin. I mean, that... That's it. He, he came and he died for my sin. And if I put my faith in Jesus, then I get to go to heaven when I die. And, and in the meantime, I need to be a good boy or I need to be a good college student or I need to be a good husband or I need to be a good father. So, so Jesus died for my sin. That's what it's all about. And then if I put my faith in Jesus, I get to go to heaven. And in the meantime, I just need to be a good person. And, and that was the big picture. That's what it was all about. And if we had a time machine today, and we could go back 2,000 years ago, and we could talk to Peter. And we could say, Peter, listen, we don't even need for you, as we're helping Mark write this stuff down, we don't need for you to tell us the big idea, because we know what it is. 
The big idea is Jesus died for our sin. We put our faith in him, and so when we die, we get to go to heaven. I mean, we got it. And I'm telling you, Peter would have looked at you in that moment like you're crazy. And he would be like, what are you talking about? Where did you even get that? That's, that's not the point at all. That's why I'm getting Mark to write this down. See, right up front, Peter wants us to know what the big picture is. And if you don't hear anything else that I say today, Peter would say, if we, if we get interrupted, Mark, I, I have a lot of things to say. But I want you to know the big picture. I want you to know what this is all about. I was with Jesus, and I heard his teaching, and, and it took me a little bit to conform my mind to what he was trying to get me to see, but I finally saw it, and he entrusted it to me, and I'm going to share that with you right at the front. Let me ask you a question as I pause, because it's, it's going to be important for you to see what his point is. Because it's going to be talking about a kingdom. And I want to ask you if you've ever seen a map of what the world looked like to them in their day. So I want to, I want to put up a map uh, for you guys right now. And I want to show you guys what the world to them looked like to the Jews to people 2,000 years ago that Jesus would be talking to, that Peter would have been interacting with at the time when Jesus is teaching them the point. And so John, Mark is, is, is writing this down, and, and it says that John was put into prison, and Jesus went... To Galilee. Now, if you look at this, this map right here, you'll see that this up here is the Sea of Galilee. This was the world to them. Uh, you have the Jordan River, and you have the Dead Sea. Um, up here, you have Capernaum. And this is where Jesus spent his life. This was the world to these people in that day. And in this series, we're going to be using this this map. This was what we would call the Holy Land. So what's interesting is the way that Peter tells his story, basically, he, he talks about, so Jesus says that after John was beheaded, now what happened is Jesus right here, if you can look on the map, right about there is where Jesus was baptized. And then after that happens, John would have been taken to right around in this area, a prison in the desert. And he would have been, that's where he was, he was beheaded. After he was beheaded, what happened is Jesus took a trip up to Galilee. And he starts going up here. And 
Peter starts telling us kind of the history of what Jesus is doing. Jesus leaves this area after being baptized, and he starts going up this Jordan River up to the Galilee area. And he says that when this is happening, he starts sharing this message. And it was a message that was confusing the people, not in our time, but it was confusing the people of their time. Again, we sometimes get confused on what we are told, but I'm telling you, please pause just for a second and go back over 2,000 years ago and put yourself as a Jew in that day. You're under the old covenant. Jesus has not died on the cross. He has not been buried. He has not rose from the dead. He hasn't started a new covenant. He hasn't started a new day. And so all of a sudden, Jesus starts sharing this message, this message of good news. The good news of God that Jesus came to this earth. And if the good news of God that Jesus came to this earth and he died for my sins, and if I put my faith in him, I get to go to heaven when I die. If that is his message, then the crazy thing is, is that hasn't happened yet. That's what we all heard that the good news was. When I was a kid, that's what I was taught, but that couldn't be taught because it hasn't happened yet. In fact, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, as we're going to see in this series, that Peter is going to make it so clear to us that the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it simply punctuated what Jesus taught throughout his earthly ministry. And what he taught through his earthly ministry was it is to impact how we live our lives on this earth to impact the kingdom that has already come. So the kingdom is here. That's the message. The kingdom, and we see it in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. As he goes all the way up to the Sea of Galilee, he gets up, and the entire time, Peter is saying that he's sharing this message, and this is the message that he taught. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus is teaching, the time has come, the time, the kairos. This is a special God moment. It has Come. In other words, the world has been waiting for this. The world has been looking for this. Everything has been pointing to this. Everything before was preparation. It was a hint. Everything was foreshadowing. The time has come. Are you ready for this? He says the time has come. Jesus said the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God. A new kingdom. This was Jesus' message. The old was going away. What was the old? It was the old covenant that the, that the Jews were living under, natural Israel. Guys, we, as, as modern, modern day Gentiles, we've never been under the old covenant. We've never been under the law, but they were. And Jesus shows up to them, and he says, the kingdom of God has come near. It is here. And through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, a new age was about to begin. A new kingdom was near, and Jesus was there to start it, to be a bridge from the old to the new for the Jews. Everything that they knew was about to change, to which Peter 
would have stopped and he would have said, when Jesus started sharing this message, I didn't get it. I didn't understand what he was talking about. There was a kingdom, and it was Rome's kingdom, and we were under that, and we were the Jews, and we were tired of it, and we wanted a king. We wanted a Messiah who would deliver us and set us up, the Jews up, and we would have a natural kingdom. We would have, it would be about, it would be political. It would be, Rome would be under our feet now, and he comes, and he starts saying things that are doing away with our law. It's doing away with our covenant. It's doing, it, it, it doesn't look like anything. I didn't understand it, and it took me a while to understand it. But he's like, Mark, I finally got it. He wasn't talking about, Jesus wasn't talking about a future event. This was no longer something that they were to hope for or to look for. He was saying the future is now. This is my message. The fulfillment is here. It is a kingdom without borders. It is a kingdom with a common language. It is a kingdom with, for everybody. It was a kingdom now that will be a kingdom of the heart. It will be a kingdom of conscience that is informed by the teaching of a king who has come and is going to change everything. And in fact, Peter's going to tell us that time after time, when we sat and we heard Jesus' teaching, we would get side by side with one another, the disciples, and we would say, surely he didn't mean that. That was sacrilegious. That went against what all of us Jews believe. When he would stand up and say that he he was, he, he was what was talked about when he's breaking the bread. I am the blood. I'm the bread. It would, it, would, it would blow their minds. He was starting something new. He was introducing the kingdom of God that was so different. He was a different kind of king, introducing a different kind of kingdom, a kingdom that is now, that's not in the future. A kingdom where loving God and loving others was the ultimate priority. And he would say, Peter, this is what I want you to share. And Peter shared this with Mark, and Peter would say, this is the picture, this is the picture into which the pieces fit, including the final picture The final piece, the death of the king, the death of the king who gave his life for all the subjects of requiring the subjects to give their life for, instead of requiring the subjects to give their life for him. See, we miss this, but the arrival of Jesus was the beginning of a brand new age, guys. A brand new era. The old was passing away. Something new had come. Something better had come. It would culminate in something that was a brand new covenant. And we talked about, we'll talk about this in the end of this series, the new covenant. In fact, one of the shocking things for Peter and the disciples, when, when Jesus introduced the, the, the new covenant, is was, he didn't say that it would be a new covenant between God and Israel. He said it would be a covenant that would be for everybody. And that was shocking to them because they thought it was all about them. Peter saw that Jesus continued to open up for everyone, the entire world, but there was a gotcha. And this is what I want to close with today. The good news, 
the good news of the arrival of the king who came to establish a brand new kingdom, it required something. And the message that Jesus would teach over and over, this message that Peter heard him teach over and over, a message that Peter puts right up front that we can't miss, that we have to put right up front so that we don't miss the finished part of his story. It's two imperatives or two thou shalt that no one should t- uh, take seriously or, or try to even apply until you get to the end of the story because it's just too much without knowing how the story And He says here are two things things that you have to do. He says, the time has come. Jesus says, this is the whole sermon. This is the whole message reduced into two sentences. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. And then he says this, repent and believe the good news. Now, when we hear the word repent immediately, a lot of us think that have been raised in church we think of what? We think of some, some preacher yelling, repent, turn from your wicked ways, turn from sin, right? I mean, that's what I always would think about growing up when I heard the word sin, turning away from sin so that we can go to heaven. But something's been lost in translation because that's not what the word means. Someone told you that's what the word means, but that's not what the word means. Go look this up. In the original Greek, the original word is metanoia. If you look it up, it's very simple. The word just simply means to change your mind, right? It means to shift your mindset. So, Please remember 2,000 years ago, before the death, burial, and resurrection, they were in an old covenant. And in an old covenant, who Jesus is speaking to when he's telling them to repent, it was not us. People living in America 2,000 years later. He wasn't telling us to change our minds. He was telling them to change their minds. What did they believe? His message was the kingdom of God is here. And it's new. This is good news for everyone. The Jews are under the law and they're like, it's it's not for everybody. It's for us. And it's for us only. The Jews in that day believed that that about sin, they believed that transgression of the law, the law of Moses, transgression of, of the law, that was sin. I can tell you right now that we have never been under that law. But they had. And so they believed that when they transgressed that law, that then they needed to bring sacrifices to appease things, to make things right vertically with Jehovah. And Jesus shows up and he says, that's how you think you need to change your mind. You need to repent. You need to change your mindset. It wouldn't make any sense If he told them, repent, 
keep doing the same thing. Change your mind, have the same mind, right? And you have to understand who he's speaking to. They already believed this way. The Jewish people that Jesus was speaking to, they were unrepentant towards the new kingdom that Jesus came speaking. That's what they were unrepentant to. The the new kingdom that Jesus was teaching, they didn't want to change their minds to that. This This is why Jesus is continually saying, repent and believe. It has nothing to do with sin or going to hell. That's not Jesus' message. That's the point that Peter is saying. This is why I have to get the point all the way up front. Jesus was telling them, repent, change your mindset about what you think about the kingdom and what it's going to look like, because it doesn't look like the old covenant at all. Change your mind and believe what I'm saying, because what I'm saying is good news. What did he say? Repent and believe the good news. It's good news for everyone. Good news for everyone. But the devout Jews over 2,000 years ago before the cross didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to change their minds about that. They didn't want to believe in this new kingdom that was at hand. So please understand this. When Jesus said repent, he was actually saying to Jews under the law, look, I want you to change your way of thinking. I want you to change your worldview. I want you to turn in your mind in a different direction. I want you to turn in a different direction, a brand new way of thinking, in a kingdom thinking with a brand new kind of king. You thought I was going to come one way, and I didn't. I'm establishing a new kingdom on this planet, and I'm inviting you to participate in it. And until you change your mind, until you change your worldview, until you embrace this, you're going to miss it, guys, until you repent. Embrace this radical new way of viewing the world. Embrace this radical new way of viewing yourself and embrace this radical new way of understanding and experiencing the presence of God because Jesus is saying, repent. You are not far. The kingdom is here. It's interesting that he says, I want you to believe. Because once you, once you tear down a mindset, that's what repentance is. You have to, if you have a mindset and you change the way that you, 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 you turn, you turn from that mindset, you have to replace it with a new mindset. That's, that's, that's where believing comes in. And you don't believe it to make it true. You believe it because it's already true. It's too good to be true. And I can tell you that even even 20 years after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, before he dictated the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, and, and Mark wrote it down, Peter still 
as a natural, a part of natural Israel, he still struggled in his heart. That people that weren't Jews were a part of this kingdom. It was just hard. For 1,500 years, they believed a certain way about the Father. And Jesus comes and he turns their world upside down, their world, of how it was in their day. And he says, I need you to change your mind. And I need you to believe a new way. And I know that it's going to be so hard. That the proof is I'm literally going to give my life for it. And Peter says, I saw him do it. here when I saw him and he was dead but then he was alive and 20 years later he said I was still racist I was up on this top of this roof and God spoke to me and said man don't call what I have called clean, don't call it unclean. Peter, it's for everybody. These are all my children. And reluctantly, Peter gets off that roof and he, he goes to Cornelius' house and he knocks on the door. And his heart is still hard. And the first thing that he says to them when they open the door is he says, it's unlawful for me to be here. To which if I was one of the Gentiles in there, I would have been like, that is, this doesn't look like the kingdom. The second thing he says to them is, and I, you know, God's told me that I shouldn't think of you guys as unclean and impure. So in his heart, he still does. Man. And while he's speaking, the love of God fills these Gentiles, the Spirit of God. And it's a sign to him that he has to go back to the, this, this movement is so early on. He goes back to them. This thing is for everybody. <laughs> Mark chapter one, verse one. Peter's in his 50s. 
He's in prison. He's thinking he don't have very many days left. He's given his whole life for this. He says, Mark, write this down. The beginning. It's good news. good news about Jesus the Messiah the Son of God I'll say this I don't know how what type of upbringing you had what church you went to growing up, what you were told about God until this point. Maybe you, you, you weren't even raised in a home and you don't know anything about him. The point I want to make is this. If you've heard anything about the message of Jesus, of God the Father, and it doesn't sound like good news, then it's not the original message from a man who was there that talked to Jesus. Because the way that he described it and the way that he heard Jesus describe it is that it was good. And so if you've been in a place where you've been turned off by what you thought about God or what you thought about church or Christians, maybe you just haven't really heard the truth about the good news because it's so good. It's so good that this really happened. This guy named Peter. He risked his life for 30 years. After he was with this man named Jesus. What he saw and what he heard in real life. And day in and day out, he put his life on the line. And he shared his story with a guy named Mark who wrote it down, hoping that it would make it out of this Roman Empire. And against all odds, it did. 
So if you're curious about this message, I encourage you to tune in this next couple weeks because that's what we're going to be telling. For the next three weeks, we're going to be jumping into the nitty-gritty, the details of what, what Peter shares, what Mark writes down. And I'm telling you, it's so good. It's so good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for your goodness. We thank you that we're not waiting. We're not waiting for a kingdom to come. That your kingdom is now. Your kingdom is here. We are not far. Thank you for your truth. And I just say, let the river flow, God. Let your river of truth about who you are, about who we are, about who our brothers and sisters are, let that be known. Where a lot of us, and it's sad to say, have been taught lies about you and have been taught mixture and were raised to think like over 2,000 years ago, Jews under the law. we can we can we can feel what they felt and and know how hard it is to we have these things that we hold on to that we think that we call our holy things we can relate Jesus is asking them to change their mindset. How hard, we can relate how hard because we feel it. How hard it is to lay some of these things down because they were told to us by people that we trust, by people that we love, who had sincere hearts. pray that we would see that your heart as the Father, that you have patience and peace and that it is a journey and that it's a process and anybody that's listening right now, just online I just, I just speak your kingdom, a, a kingdom of peace, a, a kingdom of grace, a kingdom of love, uh, just to be expressed in their mind right now. 
and just for things to slow down, that we don't have to have it all the answers, Lord God. Just to know that as we start to pursue you and your truth and to see who you who you are and see ourselves as who we are, Lord God, that naturally it will unfold and ultimately the big picture is it will look like good news we thank you for that thank you for being a good good father <laughs>